0: Hi, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. I am your host, Jessica Lemon, and you are listening to the very first episode of my very first podcast, Sour, Sweet, and Spooky. On this show, I'm going to be taking a deep dive into ghost stories, cryptids, alien encounters, murders, and conspiracies, basically anything that is a little out of the ordinary. This being my first jump into the podcast world, it may not be perfect, but I'm learning and I'm growing, and I hope that you continue to take this journey with me. Some of the stories you'll be hearing will just leave a sour taste in your mouth. Some will have nice, sweet endings, but I can assure you that they will all be a little bit spooky. (laughs) When I was a kid, my aunt would always tell me stories from when she worked at a haunted restaurant. Her and her coworkers would hear voices coming from the vents that sounded breathy but guttural. They'd have candles that they had just blown out, relight, and candles that they had just lit, go out. Stories about a little girl that was hit by a train and tragically died upstairs. A hidden room, bricked up in the basement, with a bed and blankets untouched for over a century. A story about a man who was shot dead by the owner because he might have been cheating at a poker game. These stories were some of the first I'd ever heard about ghosts and spirits, and that's why I chose this location as my first story. This is the story of Stone's Public House. In the early 1800s, a man named John Stone owned a bunch of land about 25 miles west of Boston, where I actually grew up in what is now known as Ashland, Massachusetts. In 1832, Stone heard about a railroad that was being constructed and that it would come from Boston and travel straight through his property. So, he did what any savvy businessman would do, He built an inn right alongside the tracks, and in 1834, the railroad house opened to a reported 400 people and became the center of town. The railroad house, as it was called then, was the perfect stop for traveling salesmen and city workers to grab some dinner or stay at for a night or two. It was also the perfect place to hide slaves as part of the Underground Railroad. The history behind Stone's public house is kind of all over the place. Because it was built in the 1800s, its ownership has been passed around a lot. John Stone himself handed over the business just two years after it opened, and though he still lived on the property, he began leasing it to a long line of innkeepers before passing away in 1858. Just ten years later, in 1868, a Mr. W.A. Scott bought the business. But between the time of his purchase and 1976— the building just fell into disrepair. Scott and his family dealt with a lot of hardships over the years, with all three of his sons succumbing to alcoholism. Two of his sons actually died before they turned 40 due to liver complications, and one went crazy and was admitted to a mental hospital after he attacked a woman at the inn. He died before his 50th birthday. In 1889, a fire pretty much destroyed the place. And not too long after that, Scott contracted malarial fever and became delusional, talking about how he wanted to be with his sons again. So he grabbed a pistol, went to his bedroom, closed the door, and shot himself in the head. But the bullet only grazed him. So he tried again, and shot himself in the chest. And that too was unsuccessful. He tried one last time, and this shot completely missed. A woman working at the inn heard the shots, found him in his room, wounded but not dead, and Scott was nursed back to health and had a full recovery. He ended up living 10 more years. 1976 is when things really started getting spooky. Leonard Frontier, with the nickname Cappy, is who brought the inn back to its former glory. He was also the first person to explore the more paranormal side of the inn. I mean, it had been standing for over 140 years at this point, so there has to be some energies attached to it by now, right? Cappy spoke about doors that had been bolted shut, opening with no explanations, and lights being turned on and off at random. When he went public with all the weird happenings at the inn, psychics were mystified and came to investigate the property. And though they differed on some things, they all agreed on one thing. In the back of one of the upstairs bedrooms, they all got uneasy, strange feelings. That hair on the back of your neck standing up kind of feeling. Goosebumps going up and down your arms and legs. The feeling of being watched. All of the psychics believed that there were more than just a couple of spirits that lingered at the inn. One particular psychic, Lee Sonnenfeld, stated, and I quote, a drunkard named Bert Phillips may have died at the inn in the 1800s, and he just refuses to leave because he enjoys the atmosphere. And, I mean, it's a bar, so... Same. In 1984, a professional hypnotist named Ralph Bibbo... What a name. Bibbo said that he spoke to several of the spirits, including a chambermaid named Sadie, and he was told a story that John Stone himself accidentally killed a New York boarder named Michael after he accused him of cheating in a game of poker where he ended up winning $3,000, which in the 1800s is equivalent to over $60,000 today. Bibbo was then told that the six or seven people that witnessed what happened and helped Stone bury the body in the basement were all sworn to secrecy, even in death. Which, clearly, if these spirits are telling Bibbo all of this now, they broke that bond real quick. Bibbo and his team were so convincing, though, and were so sure that they would find a skeleton, they were allowed to dig in the basement, but unfortunately, they came up empty-handed. Going back a little bit to 1863, just shy of her 11th birthday, a little girl named Mary was playing outside by the tracks when she was struck by an oncoming train. She was brought into the inn to one of the bedrooms upstairs, where sadly she passed away. Mary is seen roaming the halls and is heard giggling on a regular basis by the staff at the inn. A pinafore, which is kind of like an apron that's worn over a dress to help keep it clean, was found in the attic and it's rumored that it belonged to Mary. In fact, it's supposedly the very piece of clothing that she died in. You can even see some bloodstains dried into the fabric. There's a story of a waitress who heard about the dress, sneaked up to the attic, and took it. She brought it home and began experiencing very strange things right away. She was so scared and gave it to her boyfriend to return, and even he reported weird things happening in the car on the way back to the inn. While watching an episode of Ghost Lab, the team actually caught a video of what looks like a little girl with long black hair and a light-colored dress in the upstairs hallway. When they reviewed the footage, they couldn't really figure out any way to debunk what was seen by the investigator and what they caught on film. They labeled that as evidence of a genuine apparition. The team then took Mary's dress and hung it up outside of the building and waited for a train to pass by. Two of the investigators went outside to see if they could catch a glimpse of her while the rest of the team hung out in their mobile lab outside of the building. No one was inside, and the two investigators witnessed what they were hoping for. From their point outside, in the second floor window, they saw a figure pass by that blocked the light coming in from the other side of the room. They sprinted inside, up the stairs, radioing their team to confirm that no one was there, only to find... nothing. Around the same time they experienced this, the ghost lab team was able to catch an EVP, which is an electronic voice phenomenon, of what sounded like a little girl saying, Where is it? Today? Today? The pinafore resides at the inn, framed on a wall upstairs. I did some digging and found out that a woman named Liza Healy Miller found an actual death record of a Mary J. Smith in the Ashland town's clerk's office that confirmed that her cause of death was, quote, killed by railroad cars in Ashland, June 11th, 1863. But she wasn't able to find any record of her burial or her birth certificates, Healy Miller believes that the family traveled a lot and never really settled in one place so that information just wasn't really available. Plus, it was the 1800s, and sometimes records then weren't always kept up with. Healy Miller also was able to get the pinafore analyzed by taking some photos and sending them to a photo identification expert named Maureen Taylor, who found out that the garment was made of linen and not cotton, which would have been expected for that time period, because linen manufacturing stopped being popular by the 1860s. The four-hold button on the back was interesting, too. It was a few years out of date for Mary's time of death. There's still some doubt that it was Mary's dress, but I'd like to believe that it was hers. I also watched an episode of Ghost Hunters, who run TAPS, the Transatlantic Paranormal Society, who actually visited the inn in 2004, which was the same year that my family moved out of Ashland, Massachusetts. So I just missed them. But I was 11, so I wouldn't have really known much about them anyway. The TAPS team started their investigation by checking out the basement to see if they could explore the tunnels under the building, but so much debris had accumulated that they weren't really able to see or do much there. They spent their night investigating the rest of the property and did catch a couple of interesting things. At one point, they caught an EVP that they couldn't debunk that sounded like a man saying, I am not. The ladies of the group reported an uneasiness in the restrooms and were hearing strange noises. In the attic, an old oil portrait of a baby was found, and it was explained that it was a death portrait, which means that it was commissioned after the baby died and they were propped up and used as the model. While dead. And though that seems really strange and kind of cruel, even to us now, it was pretty common back in the day. Regardless, though, it's still just kind of creepy. A few members of the TAPS team went up to the third floor where an odd door stood out to them. When it was opened, it was a straight drop to the ground three stories below. I remember a story my aunt told me about rumors that someone had fallen from that door, and people would report seeing a man tumbling down only for him to disappear before hitting the ground. I couldn't find any solid proof to corroborate that story, so it still just remains a story. The TAPS team also caught a strange light in one of the rooms, but they were able to debunk it as one of their IR illuminator lights streaming through a cracked door. One investigator on the team, though, was not impressed and still believes it was paranormal in nature. One of the investigators came across an old newspaper in the attic that was dated 164 years before their investigation. To the day. To me, that's just crazy. Like, what are the odds that they would find something like that, let alone the exact day? They framed the newspaper and gave it to the owner. Some other common occurrences at the inn are staff seeing shadows and hearing footsteps, feeling uneasy and sometimes just plain scared for no reason. The water faucets turn on and off when no one is around, and guests get tapped on their shoulder only to turn around and see that no one is there. One waitress saw a man standing in the dining area, and as you do in the service industry, she went to go greet him. Just a moment later, but he was gone. Stone's Public House has been a big part of my passion for the paranormal, and though it was documented on a couple of shows, I feel like it doesn't get as much love as it should. It's creepy and eerie, but bustling and friendly. A place with over a century of history, with the railroad tracks creating an endless amount of energy for the spirits to hold on to. I see Stone's remaining just as spooky year after year. 2034 will be the 200th anniversary of the inn, and though that seems far away... It will be here sooner than you think, and maybe an additional investigation into Stone's public house will bring the spirits out to play. Thank you all so much for listening to my first show. I can't wait to continue to bring you information on all things paranormal and spooky. I'll be releasing an episode every Thursday, so you've got something to help get you into the weekend. If you're interested in finding out more about today's show, you can check out my website, SourSweetSpooky.com. You'll find photos and all of my source links there. It would also be amazing if you could review the show on whatever platform you're listening on. It really does help me out. And if you want, you can follow me on my socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's all Sour sweet, Spooky. And my personal socials at Jessica Lemon. You can also reach out to me through my email, which is just sour, sweet, spooky at gmail.com. Send in recommendations for future stories, questions, comments. Just stop by and say hello. Thank you again so much for listening. I am your host, Jessica Lemon, and I'll see you next week with a new story. And remember, stay sour, stay sweet, stay spooky.